open your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. Let me just remind us a little bit of where we've been and uh, where we're headed. If you go to chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Jonathan just prayed that our lives would be, um, in many ways, a sacrifice, a, uh, an example of worshiping Christ. Here, it's our living is to be worthy of Christ, Christ redeeming us and then showing us off, really. And by showing us off, He is showing the surpassing riches of His grace towards us and in us. He wants to, to walk worthy of Him. Chapter 2, He gives us encouragement for that worthy walk the first few verses, and then he gives us the specifics of that walk, and we're still with those specifics, the three specifics. He said, I want you to walk harmoniously, I want you to walk humbly, and I want you to walk helpfully, in a helpful way. And the world's going to see that you are mine when they see you walk this way. This is a manner, this is walking Worthy of the gospel of Christ. A life change is a, chi- is a life that's not at war with others all day long. It's a life of harmony. How can I live, my captain being the prince of peace, how can I live at peace with you? And how can I help you, serve you? How can I be humble, not trying to exalt myself above you? That's the lifestyle of the believer. We've looked at it briefly. We looked last at all three, uh, and then we looked at the example of Christ then given to us in the area of harmony. And this morning, I want us to look at the example of Christ in the last two areas, in the area of humility and helpfulness. Let me put it to you a different way. <clears throat> when I was growing up, um, you could count on for breakfast what you were going to have to eat. There was just no variation. Uh, lunch was always up for grabs, supper, dinner was a lot of variety. But breakfast, the same thing every morning. Five days a week, Monday through Friday, we always had eggs. We always had grits. We always had sausage or bacon. We always had toast. We always had coffee. We always had juice. And we always had milk. You could count on five days a week. Saturday, we always had waffles or pancakes, always. And then Sunday, day of rest, we had cereal. We'd throw in on the side of that cereal muffins and toast and other stuff. Mom was convinced that her prescribed breakfast was necessary for us to do what we needed to do. And she got up and made that breakfast time and time again. And I want to think about that mentality. Christ is convinced that for us to walk worthy of the gospel, we have got to get up every day of our life and live harmoniously, helpfully, and humbly. Those are the ingredients. They don't change. They don't go anywhere else when we're doing something. 
Those are the ways, that's the manner of living. So I want you to walk in a manner. And that manner is a harmonious manner, a humble manner, and a helpful manner. So when your life is described at the end of your days, will those around you be able to say, well, there was a certain way of living. This person had never varied, never changed. Did a lot of things or little things, didn't matter in life, but he always did it in harmony with Christ and those Christ was calling around him. And he always did it as a humble man. And he always did it wanting to get up and serve and be helpful to those he was around. That's the essence of this text. And if we as a people group, the people of God, all have those characteristics as our manner of living, the world sees a light in a dark place. They see something different because we're born wanting to exalt ourselves. We're born wanting to fight for our own lust and our own sin. We're born wanting to serve ourselves and exalt ourselves. Christ changes us, and our manner becomes worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's look at the attitude of Christ that is described here as the attitude of helpfulness. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, he gives us one illustration there that's going to kick me off into uh, many more, but Christ is one who emptied himself. He, he had, we talked about last week, equality with God. He didn't make a deal of that. Big deal. And he literally emptied. He said, I'm, I'm going to push it aside so that I can be a servant. I can help sinners on earth. Taking the form of a servant, being born. There's the the illustration of being born in the likeness of men. He was not. He was God. He has not always been in the likeness of men. But he took this God qualities that he has, pushes it aside, and takes on to himself the likeness of men. Now, I want to just take you through a number of passages of Scripture to, to, to get more of what's involved in him emptying himself to help sinners like you and me, and it, it just encourages us, and that's why God has it here. Um, look at the Luke chapter 2, verse 16. Luke 2, 16, and then chapter 15, verse 10. And I'm going to go through these, uh, a number of passages, fairly quick. Luke 2, verse 16 says, And when they with haste found Mary and Joseph, the baby, lying in the manger... Um, and they went, and they, they, they made haste and found Jesus. Um, lying in a manger. Think about being God and lying in a manger. See, that right there says, whoa. 
why would God do that? To serve, to be a servant, to help. He had to become one like us. And so he chose to be this child, this son of a woman born in the flesh. Look at Luke 15, verse 10. says, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think about when you repent, when your life that's changed, as we just witnessed earlier, and you say, God, I want to turn from my sin and I want to be yours. Heaven rejoices. What has just happened there happened at the manger as we study the book of Revelation, we see around the throne, day and night in chapter 4, the angels. And it says, they don't cease to say before God the Father and Christ, holy, holy, holy. Our God is without sin, without blemish, and all created creatures in heaven. And then the 24 elders around the throne with crowns on their head, they cast their crowns before Christ and the Father and say, worthy, worthy, worthy are you to receive all praise and glory. What I want you to see is God transferred that. See, that was my music. That was my jive. Those were my tunes. And I traded them in to hear Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. I took the form of servant. I became like one of you. And they then took on your sin. And instead of having the joy of repentance, it stayed on me, that sin, until it was paid for. That's just the beginning of the service that Christ offering to us. Look at some, uh, some more examples. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 28. Matthew 1, verse 28 says, well, it's going to be hard to find 28 verses when there's only 25 there. Uh, <clears throat> let's just go with what we got. How about that? Uh, verse 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew he, he, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Verse 25, he gave birth to a son. God, now son of man. Chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 11 Chapter 2, verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this son, clearly the child of God. What does he offer us? What's the service? Look over at John chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12, and I'll tie them together. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So 
What we see in Scripture is Christ became a child of man so that he could give us the right to be a child of God. That's the service that he renders to us. We who are born here get to be transferred to heaven as a heavenly son, as one who is born of heaven and not just of earth. Look at Galatians 3. Another example, Galatians 3, verse 26. Galatians 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. Um, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Um, Matthew 2.11, Christ received gifts. He, he got a certain benefit for being humans, for being a human and having the benefit of family. God says, I'm going to give you that benefit in heaven. I'm going to make you heirs of Abraham. I'm going to give you all the promises I gave Abraham. You're going to be a co-heir even with Christ. That's service beyond what we sometimes think. I hope you're getting a bigger picture of Christ's service. It's not just that Christ gives you a meal today. Christ gives us so, so, so much more. When you start thinking of sonship, when you start thinking of being an heir, when you start thinking of creatures singing to you, this is God's gift to us in Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says... He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This comes up in Isaiah 53, verse 5. By his wounds we've been healed. A lot of times because of the word healing, healed, we think this is a physical thing. And Yes, God heals us physically. He, he is the great physician. But the context here and the context in Isaiah 53 is about sin. We're being healed from the pollution of sin. The power of sin. The penalty of sin. The guilt of sin. The presence of sin. So I, I want, because of Christ's crucifixion on the cross, because of His stripes, because of His being crucified, I want to take your sin. Christ paying the penalty. Um, what a service that we don't have to stand ever before God and be judged for our sin. Christ has taken that judgment for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, another example. As I started coming up with examples, I... 
I'm going to stop at some point, but they just go on and on and on. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, gives what is often referred to as this, this great exchange. It says, for our sake, our sake, our service, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's just going to be hard for me to imagine uh, the exchange and will take me perhaps an eternity to thank and praise God for it because it's, it's hard to imagine the depth of having and the reality of having no sin and in its place having a limitless supply of righteousness. He says, he knew him who didn't have any sin, has nothing but righteousness. And he takes that nothing but righteousness and he gives it to us. That's his service. It was for our sake. And he takes our sin and gives it to Christ. Hallelujah. What a glorious service. Um, another example. Um, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. I should have uh, maybe just hung out over there a minute, so you didn't have to go back and forth. But Matthew 2 speaks about, I'm just, just a, a small example of, of, of warfare, really. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. You don't usually get that story in your cute little Christmas cantatas and television shows and that kind of thing that when Christ shows up, a war begins. He came to take on that war. And it, they don't like showing on our television during the Christmas season thousands of babies being slaughtered by Herod. Because Christ showed up. But that's the war he stepped into. He says, I'll come and face the evil ones who want to destroy me from my birth. And I will go to battle for you, for your sake. It's brought up over in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, and through death, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We were born under the power of the devil. Christ came to this earth. And I, one of the ways I'm going to serve my people is I'm going to destroy their destroyer. It, I talk to people sometimes. They said, why is life so miserable? I said, because someone's out to destroy you. And they say, yeah, who is? It's the devil. 
He's taking your money. He's taking your family. He's taking your life. He's going to destroy you. That's his mission. Well, what can I do? Trust Christ. Because only Christ destroys the destroyer. He comes and serves us that way. Wow. And he takes you off the table. He tells Satan, you can't touch him. He's mine. Wouldn't we trust him? What a beautiful verse. It's in the, the last chapter of 1 John 5. God says, you to Satan, you will not touch them. They're mine. We're marked out. What a service Christ has provided for us. I'll give you one more example. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Matthew 8. Verse 20 says, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Says, You, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Again, that phrase, yet for your sake. Because he wanted to serve you, and he wanted to serve me. He gave up his throne, his glory, his heavenly mansion, and he comes where he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And he goes around from place to place, not having his own house, not having his own quarters, not having the mansion he deserves. And he says he gave up his riches so he could take those of us who are poor and give us riches. He says, don't be troubled or worried. He says, I'm in heaven. I'm still working and I'm preparing dwelling places for you. That's unbelievable. For you to possess and have for all eternity. What a service. I've been spending a year of my life remodeling one bathroom. I'm glad I don't have to spend an eternity building my mansion. Christ has got that covered for me. Done. It's glorious to think that Christ's service was not just on earth. It continues. And it goes on and on and on. How could you say that he has anything but an, a, a manner of going about life that's anything but helpful? Service-oriented for his church and his people. When you start, stop and really start to look at Christ's example, looking at others was what he was always doing. Now, how do we apply that to us? How do I get to be helpful like Christ was helpful? I don't think I can do it until I realize, recognize, pray for, seek it, seek self-denial. The reason he was serving you and me 
is because he was denying himself. He was giving up himself. He was emptying, remember back in Philippians? He was emptying himself. He was saying, I don't need this for myself. Let me give it to them. We can't get there until we embrace that our manner of life involves self-denial. Look at Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23, and Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There it is succinctly. If we want to follow the example of Christ, we must deny self. So I wake up and I don't just think of those I'm going to talk to and see and be around today and how to not argue with them but to live harmoniously with them. But then secondly, for me to be like Christ, I need to think, how can I empty myself? How can I deny self? Deny what I want. You know, I deserve things, right? He said, yeah, but I could give them up to serve others. And Christ did that for us over and over again. How are we exhibiting that? Two big areas I think we've got to address. Number one, too busy. How many in this room are too busy? Yeah? I'm not the only one, right? People who know me say, you know, what does David complain about? Probably one of the things I complain about more than I should, way more than I should. I'm too busy. When you're too busy, it is difficult to be helpful. Lord, forgive us. We've allowed our lives to get so busy. You come say, hey, David, could you help me do this? Well, I'm kind of busy. You see where I'm going? Could you help me do this? Could you help me do that? Can you be there for me then? I'm, I looked, let me look at my count. No, I'm busy. I'm just busy, busy, busy. And as a result of being busy, I'm not being the man I was called to be. I'm not being helpful. We have got to find ways to clean our calendar. We've got to find ways to put into our calendar time for other people. Time to just be helpful. Hours in every day where I can lay aside what I was doing because now you have this crisis or an emergency and I can step into that and help you with it. We have thought for some reason that godliness is constant activity instead of seeing we're not being helpful when we're always running on high and never having time so I don't know what it is for you you got to cut some things but we all have way too much typically social media time cut we got other times that 
we can cut, but we've got to look for ways, and then we're available to help. Now, I'll give you another area I think we just have to address. I was reading an article on American debt this week, and there was a phrase in it that says, Americans are spending like a drunk sailor. And our debt in America is through the roof. Highest it's ever been. It is extreme. So I thought to myself, it's extremely difficult to be helpful when I can't afford it. And one of the main reasons I can't afford it is because the borrower is the lender's slave. You ask me, say, hey, can, can we go get a cup of coffee? Can we get a sandwich together? And I think, mm, I can't afford it. So I answer, no. Well, why can't you not afford it? Well, because I've already spent too much on my credit card this week, this month. And I know that if I don't pay off that credit card, then the interest rates are going up and up, and I owe more. I'm a slave to it now. I have to pay it off. I have to get out of that debt or, or I just go into a deeper hole. So we have the credit card debt that's killing Americans. We have the automobile debt. Not only do I have to deal with my credit card, but I've borrowed to have my transportation. And you, can you help me? Well, I wish I could, but I can't afford it. Why? I got to pay off my car. And then, of course, we have our mortgage debt. And the same scenario. Well, I, I wish I could, but if I lose my house, I don't have any place to stay. If I lose my car, I don't have a way to get around. If I lose my credit card, I don't eat. So, no, I can't help you. And if we were a people that managed and lived within our means better, and we didn't have the credit card debt going into the hole. We didn't have the car loan. And we didn't have the house loan. Can you help me? Sure. I got time. And I got resources. Because I live within my means. You just evaluate. There's no set system that says you got to be out of debt by tomorrow or by Christmas or by this time next year. I'm not saying that in some strict legalistic way. I'm just saying that if you really want to be helpful, you're not going to get there until you learn to manage life within your means. And you're not going to get there until that management also means not saying yes to everything and becoming so busy. Those are obstacles we've got to face. It's the elephant in the room that way too many times we're just not addressing. And what, what, if, what if the world were to see us? Oh, you're, you're those folks who you live within your means and you pay cash? Really? You know, I still remember last several cars that we bought. We got, said, uh, you know, we're buying used cars and the guy said, how do you want to pay for this? I said, well, I'd like to pay cash. He says, what? I said, I'd like to pay cash. 
He says, it's $20,000. I said, yeah, no, I've been saving. I want to pay cash. And uh, he says, well, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do it? You just can't. We don't have a program. We don't have, nobody's written the software for us to do that. You have to buy on time. Now, the second payment, if you want to, you could pay it off. But we don't know how to do the first payment being a cash payment. And I've seen that several times. Our world's not set up. But if over and over and over, we were the people that said, well, no, that's, that's the way we live. We live within our means. We, we're disciplined. We take time. We save. And we create emergency funds and to handle the contingencies so that we're not living as a slave to a lender. We're living as servants of Christ, mastered by Him, having His example of setting aside His own pleasures. We used to call that delayed gratification. Setting aside His own pleasures to help and to serve others. Well, let's move on. I got another attitude. Attitude of helpfulness, an attitude of humility. Verse 8 of Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ was not only helpful, he was clearly humble. It says, to the point of death on a cross. I said last week, I don't know if you remember it, but humility, biblically defined, does not involve self-depreciation. The humble person is not the person who's just always putting down themselves with their words. Oh, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. Oh, you're so humble. No, that's not what it is. Humility is living consistent with the calling that God has given you. We are all God has gifted His church so that every one of us has the precious possession of His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit is given to us, according to 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 7, for the common good. The Spirit gives us gifts, and then the gifts are for others. And then it goes on in that chapter to say, and the people who have the most insignificant, seemingly insignificant gifts are really the most important. But the point is, all of you are important. And he never says you have to give up being important. You are important. You are a gifted member of the body of Christ. Humility is recognizing that and not wanting someone else's gift. Just stay in your lane, dude, right? Use your gift the way God's called you and say, hey, let me step in here because this is my gift. This is my turn. We all have gifts that are important. And humility is learning to use those gifts for the body of Christ to build up the church that Christ died for. And, and not just to be seeking to do life like somebody else. Rather to do life the way God has called you to do it. Um, Christ is the head of the body, and he has sacrificed himself for the body, 
We have to use the gifts within the body appropriately. Um, First Peter, let me give a couple passages. First Peter chapter uh, 2, 21 through 23. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In other words, look at it this way. Christ is saying... What I came to do, I do. I don't deceive people about it. I just do what God's called me. I entrust myself to God the Father's plan and to God. Do we do that? Do we work God's plan? Humbly work it. Say, it's not my plan, it's God's plan, I'm going to work it. That's humility. Living life the way someone else wants. And that someone else is God. I'm going to use the gifts that you've given me. I'm going to use the life you've given me. I'm going to spend and be spent for Christ. That's the way Paul said it. I want my life to be used for Him. And I want to do that regardless of what the world thinks or regardless of the cost. Now, I'll give you a quick example of Christ doing that. Look at John 13. And you know this example to be the foot-washing example of Christ. John 13, beginning at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say, to you a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He presented an example, said, just like Philippians is doing, if Christ did it, we should do it. For sure we should do it. Christ being Lord and teacher, the Lord of the room, the teacher in the room should not have to humble themselves and wash feet, right? Well, unless it's their calling to be a servant, and it was Christ's calling to serve us. He said, I want you to, sh- I want to keep sh- hammering this service so that you get that you're to be building up the body of Christ. If this is what the body of Christ needs, Get in there and serve and build up. And Christ was doing that. And he says, I want you to do that. And I want the world to see how you love one another. I just just want the world to see your people that love one another. And he just gave them the example of serving, washing dirty feet. I want the world to see that. I want them to learn that. Uh, Jonathan read a great passage earlier this morning that 
Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says, Come to me and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. You remember that passage? Learn, take my yoke. You know what a yoke is? One of the big wooden things they put to hold, put on the necks of an ox to hold the two ox together so that they will go in one direction and not pull aside. It's, it's not a light, sub, uh, uh, if you've ever picked one up, it's not a light piece of wood. It's thick and heavy to be able to withstand the, the muscles of an ox neck. Jesus says, yeah, but mine's going to be light. In other words, it's not going to burden you. It's interesting, the description of Christ in that passage. He said, I want, I want you to take it on. In other words, I, I want you to strap yourself to me. Let's go side by side. And you will see, if you hang out with me, I am gentle. And I'm humble. I don't beat up on people. I'm harmonious. I don't ask people to stop and bow down. I serve. Jesus says, come to me if you are weary. You too busy? Because you're you're so weary busy? He says, come to me. Hang out with me. We'll fix this. Walk the way I walk. And you will learn to be harmonious. You will learn to be humble. You will learn to be helpful. Because that's the manner of life I leave you. It was a life I had. And I leave it with my people to have. That's the way I want us to walk. Husbands, do you keep wives? Parents, does your family know that about you? That you're gentle, you're humble, you're helpful, you're the servant, you're the peacemaker? Does your schoolroom know that about you? Does your workplace know that about you? That that's our manner of life. Leave you with one other verse. We'll use it for communion as well. How about that? It'll be a twofer. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Kind of the premier passage for deacons. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be diakonos, deaconed, Came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. It's the same word for service. Son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Walk as Christ. Harmoniously, humbly, and helpfully. Let's pray together. Father... There are those in this room who have lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. And there are those who have not. 
and we know who we are. We know when we've succeeded, we know when we have not. We know that we all need repentance, we all need forgiveness. We all need to be more like Christ and less like us. He needs to increase, His example needs to increase in our life and our desire to fill ourselves up needs to decrease. Father, have mercy upon us. Father, for those who see that they've never been anything like this, it's because they don't have a new nature. It's they don't have Christ. Lord, may that reality become theirs so that they trust you. They reach out in faith to be united to Christ, having his power and his strength to live in a manner worthy of the gospel by which they are called. Fathers, we take the Lord's Supper now. We ask that it would be a remembrance, a gift to us of who Christ is for us, our need to be like him and to be nurtured by him. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.